It's kind of amazing to see how God works. Um, last year, when uh, my wife was scrolling on Facebook and saw a picture that Linda had posted um, of them on the side of the interstate, you know, it gave us an opportunity to step in. Um, there, was a, there was a kid's cartoon movie that came out probably about 10 years ago. It's called Robots. Um, in the movie Robots, you have this guy, Rodney Copperbottom, and he is a robot. The, the, whole, the whole world is robot world. Everything is mechanical. And, and, and Rodney Copperbottom grew up in the home of a dishwasher. Um, literally, his dad would open his chest, put dishes in, wash them, and then take them out. You know, it's, it's a robot. And, and, and he lived having to get hand-me-downs. And there was a funny, funny picture at the beginning where he's like a sixth-grade yearbook. He's got um, his female cousin's uh, uh, hand-me-down parts for his, his chest or whatever. So he's kind of shy or whatever. But the mantra of robots is see a need, fill a need. I believe that is the mantra of the follower of Christ. See a need, fill a need. And so without hesitation, when I checked with um, our church council and a few others, when I found out that they were stranded, um, without hesitation, they said, as long as we've got the insurance stuff covered, then yes, they can, they can take our bus. And most of you didn't know that. Most, most of you had no idea. You'd just pull up and see that the big bus was gone and, you know, just not really worry about it or anything. And um, then you find out today that because our church was able to meet a need that did not really affect anyone in here, it actually did affect nearly 900 other people all across our country. Um, that's, that's how God works. That, that's, how, that's how God does things through us if we just open ourselves to him and allow him to use us. So Linda, thanks for being here. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, more that y'all have going on that we can, that we can jump in and, and partner with. And, and so here's the deal. I'm still gonna preach a full sermon this morning. Thank you, John. Thank you so much. For everybody else in the world that complains about their deacon chair, I will not. Thank you so much. Um, we're going to be covering three chapters of the book of Genesis this morning. <sighs> Killing me, Smalls. Killing me. We're going to be looking at the life of Joseph. And I want to read a passage to you, read it with you out of Genesis chapter 41. And if you'll turn to Genesis chapter 41, I'm going to give you the end of the story and then we're going to walk back through how we got here, uh, leaving off from last week with Judah and Tamar. Um, and here we go, chapter 41 of the book of Genesis, starting in verse 38. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom there is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all of these things and there is no one so discerning and wise as you are, you shall be over my house according to your command. All my people shall do 
homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all of the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put the gold necklace around his neck. He had him ride in his second chariot and they proclaimed before him, bow the knee. And he set him over all of the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise his hand or his foot in all of the land of Egypt and Pharaoh named Joseph that, that guy and gave him Aseneth the daughter of Potiphar priest of On as his wife and Joseph went forth over the land of Egypt and Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh king of Egypt Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh went through all the land of Egypt and during the seven years of plenty the land brought forth abundantly so he gathered all the food these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and placed the food in cities. He placed in every city the food from its own surrounding fields. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he stopped measuring it for it was beyond measure. Let's pray together. Father, we look at this life, this man Joseph and what you did in him, what you did through him. But Lord, we also know that it wasn't always good for Joseph. But you're a good God. And we ask you this morning as we look at this passage, as we look at this man, that we would stand as men and women of faith, ready to take on the future knowing that you are the God who is already there. Give us faith this morning, Lord. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Many of you know the story of Joseph. Many of you are very familiar with the story of Joseph. And here we end with this 30-year-old man standing as second in command of all, all of Egypt. Man, I love the word that Pharaoh uses. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. Translation, my chair's going to be bigger, but other than that, you have everything else. Man, that's a, that's a huge thing. Well, who was this Joseph? How did he get there? So we're going to look through and we're going to go chapter by chapter real quick. I'm going to, I'm going to give you the, the, the quick rundown of how we get to these verses. And then we're going to kind of backtrack a little bit, talk about faith, and just start connecting faithfulness to our lives in a new way. So it all starts with Joseph who was sold into slavery by his brother. So if we go back a couple of weeks, let's go all the way back to Father's Day. Two weeks ago, we're in Genesis chapter 37 and there's Joseph having his dreams and rubbing into his brothers that one day you guys are going to bow to me. And then rubbing into his dad, one day you dad and all the other brothers and everybody are going to be bowing to me. And it didn't sit well, but Joseph was the favorite of Israel. And he gave him the beautiful coat, the beautiful robe. He kind of rubbed it into everybody. And his brothers didn't really take well to that. So they wanted to kill him. Not just, I'm going to wring your neck. I'm going to pound your face. No, they actually literally wanted to kill him. Except for Reuben. 
Reuben said, yeah, this is probably not a good thing. Where's Reuben? Hey, Reuben, thanks for saving Joseph's life, Reuben. Um, he said, this is not a good thing. We shouldn't do this to our brother or our dad. So, so they, he decided, let's just, let's just be mean to him a little bit. Let's razz him. He's a little brother. They ended up selling him to some Ishmaelites. And when he gets sold to the Ishmaelites, he ends up in the house of Potiphar. Genesis chapter 39 is where we find Joseph in Potiphar's house. It says there that Joseph became great in Potiphar's house. Man, everywhere he went, the hand of God was on Joseph in spite of his circumstance, in spite of his condition. And so it says there that um, he was down to Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, and the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph, so he was successful. So much so that Potiphar put him in charge of everything in his house. Now, Joseph could be over everything in your house or my house and have just a little bit of responsibility, right? You come to my house, if I put Joseph in charge, his responsibility would be making sure the kids are fed, making sure that the dog gets walked. Um, I'm supposed to walk, give the dog a bath this afternoon, so I'd make Joseph do that if he was a man. Not a whole lot. Maybe mow the yard. In Potiphar's house, Potiphar was an important guy. But Potiphar had a whole lot more going on. So being in charge of everything in Potiphar's house was actually a big deal. Other servants had to serve Joseph and he had everything except Potiphar's wife kind of took to this young man. See, you thought that it was just a, a 20th century advent of the fantasy of the pool boy, but it was going on right here with Potiphar's wife. It says there in the, in the Bible, it says that the Lord caused all that Joseph did to, prom, uh, to prosper and his blessing was on all that he owned in the house and in the field. Verse six, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Man, he's a good looking young man. Let's say he's probably at this point, maybe around 22, 23 years old. So, you know, you've probably seen the signs out there, college hunks hauling junk. And it's got the little muscle man right over there. So you can call them and they'll come and they'll come and haul all your stuff away. You can hire these college kids, these college guys to do this. Hey, man, he was college hunk hauling junk. That's who he was. And it says there that it came about after the events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph. And she would tell him, Lie with me. She is pursuing this young man for ungodly reasons. I know we've, it's family worship Sunday, so I want to try to keep it at least PG here. See, Potiphar's wife seeks to ensnare Joseph in a trap. She, she's trying to entice him. And notice what Joseph's words are. He says, verse 9, there is no one greater in this house than I am. And Potiphar has withheld nothing from me except for you because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Notice with me what Joseph does to avoid the trap. He doesn't appeal to human strength. He doesn't say, well, you know, I've committed not to lust after a woman, so I'm just not going to do that. Or, you know, Potiphar's been so good to me. I couldn't do that to Potiphar. 
He places it at the throne of Almighty God. Says, I can't sin against God. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you that if we make our decisions based on whether or not it's a sin against God, our decisions will honor him and be godly representations of the faithfulness that he has bestowed upon us in all things. Here he goes. He says, as he spoke, and she spoke to Joseph day after day, and he did not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. This woman had it for Joseph pretty bad. All the way until the time that Joseph stepped foot into the room and there wasn't someone else there and she grabbed him by his coat and he fled. Now this woman's being spurned by Joseph and she wasn't going to take too kindly to it so she screams and the guards come in. What's going on? Potiphar's wife? The Hebrew has come in here to make a mockery of us and he he has tried to take me by force. Look, he even left his coat. Now you and I both know Joseph didn't leave his coat. It's the second time that Joseph's coat has been used in deception. First was by his brothers covering it in blood and saying an animal took him. And now Potiphar's wife is holding it. And Potiphar like a good husband would be, is a little bit angry that somebody is after his wife. So he throws Joseph in jail. It's kind of a rough go for Joseph. Don't let anybody ever tell you that if you honor God in all things and you live an honest life, that everything in your life will go well and go peaceful and you'll get what you want. That's not the case. Here is a concrete example of scripture where this man is trying to honor God and he is seeking to live a righteous and holy life because of who God is and it still gets him in trouble. The blessings we have as a, in, in America are, are, are really a facade for real life in faith. I've shared with you several times or on midweek and other occasions of a young man about 13 years ago, I met in India in, a, in an orphanage, in, in a Bible college. He was getting ready to gra- graduate. He was from Cambodia. And I asked him, I said, so, so what are you going to do um, once you've finished? He said, I'm going back to Cambodia, to my hometown, um, to, to preach the gospel. Eight, 17 years old. He, he, had, he, had, he had come by bicycle from Cambodia to the geographical center of India. So, so basically, jump on your bicycle and ride it to Dallas. He, he had come by bicycle as a 14-year-old, spent three years in this Bible college and orphanage learning about Jesus and was going to go back to his home village. I said, wow, that's, pretty good. that's a pretty amazing task. He said, well, I will probably be put to death for preaching the gospel. As a 23-year-old, 2006, 24-year-old seminary student, putting all my pieces together for preaching in a church and being a pastor and all these things, to hear this 17-year-old say, I'm going back to my home village, I'm probably going to be killed. Only to find out four months later that he was killed by his uncle for proclaiming the gospel. See, 
Most of the time when we seek to honor God, we set ourselves up as major targets because Satan doesn't want us to honor God or proclaim the good news that he has called us to proclaim. And here is Joseph living out in the covenant that God has set before the people of Israel and he is trying to honor, says, I'm not going to sin against God and it ends up in prison. I'd love to tell you that prison was a, was, was a nice uh, three square meal, watch TV, work out in the yard, all these things. I, I, I would love to tell you that it was a great experience for Joseph, but he finds himself in the jail with a cupbearer and, 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 a body, and, and, and a baker from the Pharaoh's palace. And, and God in that prison gives Joseph, uh, who was the dreamer, you remember that was, that was his problem with his brothers, he was the dreamer. God gives the dreamer the ability to interpret the dreams. So the cupbearer comes to him and says, you know, I, I had this dream. Um, it's kind of strange, but there was a vine that grew up and the grapes on it looked really, really good. And so I reached out and squished the grapes into Pharaoh's cup. And then Pharaoh took the cup and drank of it. And, and I just, man, what in the world? What, what am I dreaming about? And, and Joseph says, you know, I know things have been bad for you. Um, Pharaoh was angry. He threw you in prison. But I'm going to tell you in three days, you are going to be restored to your position in, in, in Pharaoh's house. That's pretty good news for the cupbearer. So, so the baker's over there say, hey man, I had a dream too. Let me tell you about my dream. I had a dream that like there was a bunch of like bread and, and birds were eating it out of my head. <laughs> That's a weird dream. Since you did such a good job of telling the cup guy what the dream was. But what does my dream mean, Joseph? Well, it means that in three days, Pharaoh is going to come and take you out of this prison. I can see the, I can see the baker. Yeah, going to get me out of prison. It's going to be good. Yep, going back to the bakery. Going to start making some cakes. Let's go. And instead of putting you back in your position, he's going to hang you and the birds are going to pluck your flesh. I'm sorry, can I get a redo? <laughs> you want to you shake, shake your eight ball again and see if you can get a different answer? God gave them the ability, him the ability to interpret these dreams. And he asked the cupbearer, when the cupbearer three days later is being taken from the prison to go back to Pharaoh's house, hey, just remember me, please remember me. But chapter 40 ends this way. The chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Here is this man that has sought to honor God. He's even using the gifting of God in prison, and he is left for nothing. You've been there? You're doing everything to honor God and it just seems like everyone around you is falling away, collapsing, forgetting about you, maybe even kicking you while you're down. Chapter 41 picks up with Pharaoh having a dream. Pharaoh has a dream and he's standing there by the Nile and up out of the Nile come five, uh, seven uh, plump, hefty, nice looking cows, the kind that you would go to the market and say, yep, I'll take a steak off of that one right there, please. And it's looking great. And he's like, man, these cows are good. But then like seven scrawny, don't have any meat on them cows kind of come up. And they devour, they eat the other cows. I grew up with cows. 
I, 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 man, I, eating a cricket the other night was nothing. I've had worse in my mouth just from working with cows. I've never seen a cow eat a cow. And Pharaoh is wondering, what's going on with this cow to cow? So he just kind of shakes it off. You know, if he had Alka-Seltzer back in that day, he probably just took an Alka-Seltzer thing, it was indigestion, and went back to sleep. And then he sees these seven wonderfully big and voluptuous stalks of barley and wheat grow up. He's like, yeah, that's a good, yeah. And then seven scrawny ones come up and devour it. And he's like, what in the world's going on? So he starts asking, hey, can you tell what this dream means? I had these two weird dreams. Can you tell, can, can you, can you tell what, what's going on? Can you tell about this dream? And it says there in chapter 41 that the cupbearer remembers, oh yeah, that was the dude in jail that could tell dreams. And Pharaoh's dreams become the means of Joseph's elevation. Pharaoh having these dreams are what God uses years later as Joseph is left to draw him up out of the prison. And it says there that Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. This is verse 14 in chapter 41. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I've heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. But Joseph then answered Pharaoh and said, it is not in me. I think about this. I think Pharaoh's probably a lot like all of us, that he doesn't listen to what everybody, somebody has to say, the full sentence. He starts hearing the parts he wants to hear. I just, I just brought you out of jail to do this. and you're, I'm, What I'm hearing so far is, it's not in me. I can't do this. But God will give Pharaoh the answer. Today, you might be the one looking for the answer. You might be looking for the reason why. What does this mean? It might not have been a dream. It might not have been a vision. But there is something in your life, a circumstance. I believe Joseph sat in that prison in Egypt for a few years wanting to know what was the answer. What was the reason? And I believe very clearly this passage of scripture shows us something important that I believe comes back to where we were with Abraham several weeks ago. Back in January, we used this as the main idea of the sermon. I'm going to plagiarize myself and reuse it. Here it is, main idea. The person of faith entrusts their future to what God can do rather than what he or she can do for himself. We are talking about faith in a God that is bigger than our circumstance, bigger than our lives, a God that was here long before we were ever thought of. And guess what? He'll be there long after we're gone. We're talking about a God that was big enough to create everything when there was nothing. We're talking about a God that was big enough to say, you're broken, I'm going to fix you. We're talking about a God that was big enough to say, you have a need, I have more than you will ever need that I'm waiting to give you when you look to me and me alone. And here we go, looking at Joseph, and we look at Abraham, we look at Israel, and here again in Egypt of all places... We find the person of faith entrusting their future to what God could do for them more than what they could do for themselves.
Joseph did not try to manipulate the circumstance. Joseph did not try to make it about him. He continued time and time and time again to put it in the hands of God because he knew it was only in the hands of God that it would be safe and it would be taken care of no matter what it meant for him in the moment. Here's the hard thing. We like Burger King too much. Have it your way. We like the microwave too much. We like the drive through too much. We like everything that says instant right now the way I want it, the way I have to have it. So we don't look to God for the grand picture, for the grand picture. We look to God for the finite detail of right now and we start saying, God, where are you? Why aren't you answering me here? When sometimes God has us in a place where he is working ahead of us to where we're already going so that it will be ready when we get there. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. The reality is we couldn't handle where God is taking us if we went there immediately. Sometimes God's got to work on it. You remember when we were kids, when we were kids, we used to sing the song, he's still working on me. To make me what all to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. Oh, how very patient he must be. He's still working on me. All you country fans, listen to Alan Jackson. I'm a work in progress. Lord told me to tell you, just be patient. I'm a work in progress. A lot of the reason that we aren't where we think we should be is because God is working on us where we are so that we will be ready for where he is taking us. Because the person of faith trusts God to do for them more than what they can trust to do for themselves. Here's the key word for Joseph and the key word for you this morning. It's the word faithfulness. Let's talk about faithful we'll finish just a couple of minutes. Faithfulness starts with something called integrity of heart. Integrity of heart is a display of faith in action. Integrity of heart pairs what we say we believe with what we actually do. It actually comes in. Or, or another way, what we do will always undermine what we say. If I were to stand up here in front of you and tell you that I really valued fitness and ex I know you can look at me and tell that I do. But if I were to tell you that I valued fitness and exercise, but every time you scroll through on social media, I'm sitting on the couch with like a double cheeseburger and uh, extra large fries. Oh man, don't you know they make food more and more unhealthy every single day? It used to be you just got your, your, your combo, your, your burger meal, and it just came with fries. Now you can get fries with like chili and cheese and like nine pounds of lard. You can get all that stuff right there on your, on your fries now. Man, if I'm telling you, oh, yeah, I'm really into fitness, oh, yeah, yeah, I can't, man, my workouts are going so great. Be like, well, yesterday you had two cheeseburgers and a light side of fries. You have four milkshakes the day before. Man, you really like those uh, instant cherry pies for that you can get for a dollar at Walmart. Man, you're sitting there thinking, I don't really think he's into fitness. See, integrity of heart takes what we say. And what we confess to believe and pairs it with action. Look at Joseph in chapter 39, verse 9. 
There is no one greater than this house than I am, and he has withheld nothing from me except for you because you are his wife. How then could I do this evil and sin against God? That is an integrity of heart issue. He is, he is overcoming the flesh by saying, this is my faith in God no matter what it costs me. You go over to chapter 41, the verse we read just a minute ago. Pharaoh, I can't answer you, but God can. I believe that the answer comes from the Lord and I'm not going to take credit for that. I'm not going to impose myself on that. I am going to act with integrity of heart. Further, integrity of heart is proven in the heat of the moment, but it's determined by a walk of faith. It's proven in the heat of the moment. See, I like watching football. I know y'all like watching football too. I was tempted to turn around because I think a bunch of you Georgia fans were singing the wrong words to that song we were singing a little while ago. Um, I'm just going to be real with you. I didn't sing the chorus. I just can't. As a gator, I just can't do it. I'm sorry. Um, but uh, God's truth is marching on. Then we'll go that far. <laughs> sorry. I like watching football. I do not expect when I turn the television on on Saturday to a football game this fall, I do not expect that what happens on the field is because 11 guys decided they were going to show up and just throw some stuff together. It doesn't work that way. There have been camps and mini camps and position team practices and grueling workouts and then fall camp and everything and scrimmages and everything getting ready so that the execution is there when it really matters. Some of you fall in the heat of the moment because you haven't been walking and exercising in faith. You're just expecting that when the temptation comes, I'll hold up my WWJD bracelet or my cross of gold and I'll be okay. Joseph did not stand in the heat of the pressure that Potiphar's wife was placing on him because he had just this firm commitment to celibacy, but because he was walking in faith with God. It was a day in and day out step. It did not happen, but it was produced because of the walk. But don't get me wrong. There comes a time when that walk of faith is proven. And what you confess to believe and what you are praying and what you are reading and what you are putting into your heart will show itself in that moment when your faith is tested. And that's where integrity of heart shows up. I could, man, I could talk more about that, but let's, let's keep on going. Third thing we see here is that faithfulness to God is a necessary demonstration in both times of plenty and in times of despair. Faithfulness to, to, to God, this whole integrity of heart, man, it sure is easy to do that when things are going well. When all your ducks are in a row, I don't know about you guys, I don't have, a, I don't have ducks, But when your ducks are in a row and everything seems to be going well, when you're riding high, oh, it's easy. Yeah, oh, yeah, go, go Jesus. Yeah, look what Jesus did. But when it seems like something's been taken away from you, 
when it seems like the plans that you have been praying over, when, when it seems like everything that you had mapped out for your life is just falling apart and withering, there's times of despair. Here is Joseph. God, I'm trying to honor you. I'm not going to sin against you in this way. Now I'm in jail. God, you gave me the ability to interpret these dreams. And that guy, he got out and I'm still here. Man, it's so easy to praise God when it's all great. But what about those times of despair? See, faithfulness to God is necessary in both. Because let's be real for just a moment. Even though it's easier to demonstrate the faithfulness to God in times of plenty, don't we often forget to? Don't we often turn it around to, well, that was my hard work paying off. We, we turn it back to, oh, well, that was just good fortune. I was in the right place at the right time. I got lucky. I had a hunch. There are all these other things that we like to throw out there that actually undermine, again, the faithfulness to God. But the person of faith that is trusting their future to what God can do will recognize that when those events happen, that it's because of his hand and not necessarily only because of our own. Because that's who God is. But in all this, God was looking at Joseph and he saw something. He saw where Joseph was going to be. Now, you, you know the end of the Joseph story. He goes through here and he interprets this dream for Pharaoh. And it said there, the passage that we read out loud all together, he started storing up all the grain in all the cities. Man, he had this, he had this great uh, community food bank that he was building on all the cities because he knew the famine was coming. So much so that in order that God could demonstrate his faithfulness to the covenant he made with his father Israel, that years later, here comes his brothers. Here they come marching in to find food because there was food in Egypt. And God put Joseph in a position because he knew that Joseph would be able to secure the future that God had for the people of Israel. Ultimately, what that tells us is that my future is secure because of who God is. Your future is secure because of what God has done. The work that he's doing in your life today, the work that he's doing in your life in the future where you are headed is because God is holding you. And I, I love the story of Joseph. Because Joseph, man, he's a real guy. He's doing the best he can. He's trying to honor God and everything falls apart. He's not the hero of his own story. He's the laughing stock of his story in some ways. He's the arrogant little brother that's lording things over. He's the one that's in jail. And, and he's probably, th it's, it's an argument from silence because it's not recorded, but I believe Joseph has a flesh problem like I do. And so he's probably throwing a little hissy fit in, in, in the jail there. But his position was not because of Pharaoh. It was because of God. God placed him there. Ladies and gentlemen, this morning, I'm going to tell you where God has placed you. If you're in faith in Christ Jesus, we know from Scripture that God has already placed you in the heavenly places. 
the book of Ephesians says that that is where we are currently seated. Yeah, I know we're still walking through this world in flesh and bone and all the struggle that comes, but look where you are seated. What he has done, he has elevated you out of the depths and placed you in the heavenly places with him because of his great love for you in Christ Jesus. If you don't know Christ Jesus this morning, this is what Joseph shows you. Look to the future that God has for you and not the future you make for yourself. The future you make for yourself will end in destruction and despair, but he will lift you up. So so today, let me ask you, what are you trusting? Are are you trusting the the physical evidence of circumstance? Or are you trusting that, that God is carrying you? Maybe this morning you need to come before the Lord God and say, God, I'm tired of doing it my way. I've tried to do it my way. I've tried to make it my way. I've not been walking in faith. Come and walk in faith. Demonstrate his faithfulness in you as you walk with him. Maybe this morning you need to just rejoice because you have seen how God has carried you. Maybe you got good news this week that you weren't expecting because God's faithfulness has continued to hold you. Maybe you're in a place where you're trying to figure it out. Know that God is holding you. Maybe you don't know Christ. Jesus Christ gave his life that you could be set free from the bondage of sin, that you could have hope, that you could have peace that you could have life everlasting.